And this morning we're going to look at kind of the, if you look in um, secular terms, a guy named Seth Godin talks about the linchpin. And he says there's these people and these situations and these environments that just bring everything together. Ephesians 4 is in many ways the linchpin of the book of the uh, of this letter to the church in Ephesus. You notice that last week we didn't get through all of our sermon because then there was just so much to cover. And so this week we're going to cover an entire chapter and we're going to do it in broad strokes. And I want to invite you from the beginning to go deeper. Read chapter 4 slowly. Read the whole letter uh, in one setting so that you can get the surrounding context of what's going on. It's very important that, that we, we begin to grasp that idea. But take your time through it. It is rich. And, and we don't necessarily always have time to read every verse and every section, but we are committed to exploring what God's Word has for us together. And so I want you just to consider a couple verses uh, as we prepare our hearts and as we dive in and con- continue to consider a thriving community. Starting with Ephesians uh, 4.17, I'm going to just read three verses and then we're going to cover the gambit. But Paul says this, So I tell you, and I insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, please may our attitudes be attitudes of righteous gratitude for what you've given us and who you are and may our attitudes be centered on you that the world can see that we know we are different and we are thrilled by that fact that you have transformed us and made us new lord we love you in your name i pray amen I apologize. I need to sit down today. I am feeling incredibly dizzy and lightheaded, so that's fun. Um, But anyway, I want us to look. When you think about thriving, you probably don't think of your pastor having to sit down because he doesn't feel good. You think of someone with a lot of energy, someone that's out there doing the things they, they can do better than anybody else. Uh, people that are thriving in life just seem almost, we use this idiom and it's called bigger than life, right? You know, they, they walk and they just, there's just something different. Have you ever asked anybody, well, what's different? I've done that a few times and you know, nobody can ever answer. But for those of us in Christ, we actually can answer. And it's found in those verses that I just read. It's because we're in Jesus Christ. He's made us bigger than this life. As we've talked about a lot recently, remember, we're building eternity. We're building a life that lasts forever. 
adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ, empowered to live right now and forever through what the Holy Spirit has done. So how have we come this way as a thriving church through the book of Ephesians? First, we learned that grace empowers us to move forward. We are not meant to just sit here and think this is the way we've always done it and let's just camp out here. I'm good enough. I've gone far enough. The minute the word enough becomes part of your vocabulary and you're not talking about Christ being enough for you, the minute you become satisfied and comfortable in your life, not in the life God has for you, you are missing the point. Only God is enough. And we hunger and thirst for more of him every single day we live. We hunger and thirst to be more set apart for him. We hunger and thirst to enjoy more of his fullness as we talked about our prayer last week. Remember Ephesians 3, I pray that you would know the fullness of God. And that's what we're invited to. And it's by God's grace that we continually grow to be more like Jesus. Second, it takes faith to live that kind of life, doesn't it? It takes faith to step out and not know what's right in front of us. AIC has long been a church that takes faith-filled risks. Sometimes they work. Sometimes we're told to wait. Right now we're in a period of waiting, and you know what? That's exactly where God wants us to be. He's leading us. He hasn't stopped leading us. He's just said, right now, you are in Wampo, so make the most of every opportunity while you're here, and as you long to plant a church somewhere else, I'll let you know when it's your time. And so that's what we're doing. We are stepping out in faith by saying, Lord, we trust you, and we'll go on your timing. How many of us look at our clocks and our calendars and say, no, God, you've got to fit in to my time. Living by faith gives us vision to act according to God's ways even when the world says, no, 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 it should be like this, 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 and this. Then we've got this idea of peace. Oh, to listen to that Mankok group talk to each other. There's this love, there's this affection that they've seen and that has changed their lives together. It was great to hear Chun share just a little bit of her story. You should hear the whole version. I remember meeting Chun back in 2007 or 8. Well, nine's when you came to Christ, but I knew you before that. And I remember just watching her and seeing her hunger for more of the Lord and then entering into that community group. And then what are we going to do? Our lead pastor has left. And Brian steps up and the group is formed and the group grows and develops strength and they grow together. And they've got this peace because they love each other and they're doing life together. And yes, things have changed for that group. It's not the same group that started in Photon. But they're still growing together. Reconciliation, being right with God and right with one another, allows us to give that peace away. Hey, church, we're broken people. We make mistakes. We accuse falsely. We say things that we need not say. We treat people in ways we wish we wouldn't treat our, they wouldn't treat us. And often we hang on to that. The ministry of reconciliation says you weren't meant to. You were meant to actually invite people into a life that brings them into right relationship with you. 
that being right isn't nearly as right as being righteous with God. That sometimes the best thing we can do is just let go and walk with people even though they're struggling and hurting us. And let me tell you, that's hard in our own strength. But it's a joy to walk with people and seek harmony and peace with them as God has granted the same peace for us. And then finally, the one we're going to harp on today, and I use the word harp because you hear me talk a lot about unity, and I think you might get tired of it sometimes, and that's okay. But when most of the Bible is about how to live together as one people, I kind of think it's a big deal. And so I'm going to keep talking about it, and we're going to keep learning, and we're going to keep growing in it. Maturity, growing up, it leads to unity. Because as we grow up, we see the world differently, don't we? You remember how much you knew when you were 13? And some of you, they're sitting, they're not looking at me right now. They're on their phones. Um, but when you're 12 and 13, you know it all and you've got it all figured out. When you get to 20, you want mom and dad's money. <laughs> when you get to 25, mom and dad's money may have run out and you're trying to figure out, what do I do? I don't know as much as I thought I did. When you get to 30, you're like, okay. Then kids might roll around and you're like, ah! By the time you're nearing 40, it's a whole new thing. Is this what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? By the time you're 50, I don't know this one yet, um, but I theorize that it's like, have I done enough with my life? What about retirement? By the time you're 60, I'm not done. I've got more to offer. By the time you're 70, you're like, let me sit back, but yet I can still serve. And after that, we're just thankful. But you get the idea. There's so much more to life. And maturity says, whatever season of life I'm in, one, I know I can continue to learn and grow. And two, I continue to give that away as God shapes me and refines me. And I will fight to bring other people into unity. I might know a little more than they do, but I'm not going to lord that over them. I'm not going to say, ha ha, I already learned that. No, because that's where you find yourself at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, is that we will walk together and help one another along in the journey. Listen to what Ephesians 4, uh, 1 and 2 say, really 1 through 3, let's say. I'm going to read it out loud. Um, it says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, remember Paul's in prison again, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Our calling is to walk with Jesus in a world and show people who he is by making disciples of all nations to bring glory to God in the process, okay? That's the calling, to live like a follower of Jesus Christ. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, of the triune God, through the bond of peace. So to live larger than life, I actually shrink. If you look at what it's saying there, that's what he's saying. To be bigger than life, to thrive, I make myself smaller. Yeah, that's what he's saying. We can demonstrate a a church of passionate action, if you want to fill in the blank. Sorry, I missed one. 
last week we talked about a passionate call to prayer. Paul was begging the church to be a church that prays. This week he's calling them to action. He's calling the group. They know they're reading these letters together. And then he's calling the individuals that there are expectations for them. And you see kind of the flow of chapter four into those two parts. But they both work together to build the church in this call to action. And the first thing he says is we can demonstrate selfless care for each other. Well, how do we do that? Well, this is one of the passages I have spoken on so many times in my life because it's just so important and it's so countercultural. But we do that by being humble and gentle and patient. We bear with one another. What's it say next? In love. Yes, they don't deserve it. I know they hurt your feelings. They hurt my feelings. They hurt us. Oh, they did, blah, 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 blah. But God, in his great mercy, gave us Jesus Christ. And Jesus came taking on the very nature of a servant and made himself nothing, even going to death on a cross so that we might have access to God the Father. And in so doing, he says, Paul says this as well. He says, you should have that same attitude. You should have that attitude of service, especially to those who don't deserve it. I wore special shoes today. And I'll stand up for a minute so you can see them. So if I tip over, I apologize. Um, But I'm going to stand up on the platform. Why? Because one, um, I love them. Uh, Two, they are, according to my wife, the ugliest shoes in the world. She does not like them at all. But three, the thing I love about these shoes is they can go anywhere. Look at them. They are just, they look like they've been through a war or two, right? These shoes can go in everything. They are the great Hong Kong February, March, April, May kind of shoe. Why? Because it always rains or does something weird. These shoes are ready. No matter what the season, no matter what the weather, these shoes are ready for it. And I love them. Church, that's what we're called to be. We are called to walk with people in any situation with humility, with gentleness. Man, that one's hard for me. It is hard sometimes to be gentle because I, wanna, I see how things could be. I can, I can see where it could go. And yet, stupid people, they're not doing it right. You ever feel that way? How do you think God looks at us? He looks at us with mercy and with care. He treats us with gentleness when we need it and sometimes with a good swift kick when we need it. That's uh, In most versions, they translate uh, the the next one, uh, the, the being patient is actually meekness. And I've taught on this before, so I won't speak much on it now, but it's this strength that's under control that just because I could kick you and tell you how wrong you are, Instead, no, I'm going to walk alongside. I am going to grab your hand and walk with you through this season of life. That's what the church is called to do. The church is called to be a people of selfless care. And it can be painful at times because, you know, we let each other down inside the church as much as outside. But we don't have to let that define us. We grow. Why do we do that? Because we're called to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We were given peace at great cost through Jesus Christ. 
peace that the world cannot understand, Jesus teaches us. But Jesus says, come on, just like this chair for me today, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. When people walk into AIC, when people walk into our community groups, do they feel that? Do they feel that kind of peace? My prayer is that they do, that they know it doesn't matter what happened just before you got here. Come in and we'll do life with you and we will walk with you through that season. But we will lovingly push you toward growth and we'll do it in unity. Look what comes next. Paul not only says we're going to demonstrate selfless care, but he says we're going to walk in unity. We're going to be celebrating our diversity. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. Who is our hope in? Only one person. There is only one way to God the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. We are one because he is one. And so to live that way, we have to understand that we are the church. And to be the church, we have to fight to do life together in unity. But that doesn't mean we're going to be the same. It doesn't say there, be uniform. Everyone should look just this way. Everyone should dress just this way. Everyone should be just this way. In one of my seminary classes recently, Uh, We were talking about the idea of uh, different expectations that people have when they go to church. And if you grew up in certain parts of the world, when you went to church, man, back in the day, you got super dressed up. I remember I was a five-year-old and my family lived where I later went to Bible college in a a small place in uh, the south of the United States. And every Sunday, somebody had given my family a three-piece suit for me. And so not only did I have the pants and the jacket, I had a vest and a little button-on tie because I couldn't tie my own tie at five. And I loved wearing that little suit to church because that church expected everybody to be in their Sunday best, and I wanted to look like my dad. And there is absolutely nothing wrong about that. And you will notice that from time to time I am in a suit here, although I don't think I own a vest anymore. Sorry. But see, people often feel like to come to God, they've got to get all cleaned up first. People feel like to be welcomed in, they've got to have everything sorted first. And that's the exact opposite of who Jesus chased down throughout the scriptures. Jesus chased down the people. Jesus put his walking boots on and got muddy and brought people out of the mud, out of the dirt, out of the shame out of the pain of their past and invited them into new life and said, go live together in community and show others that through me, everyone can be brought into the light and out of the darkness. Are we chasing people? Are we saying, you're dirty, you're filthy, you feel unqualified? Come on, we've got a place for you. Or do we say you're not good enough? We'd we'd rather your kind not be here. I pray that we're a church that fights to walk in unity one with each other and enjoys the diversity that comes from our group. Look around. We can represent up to 18 or 20 nationalities on any given Sunday and we're not that big of a church. I love that. Even more, each of you have different gifts and abilities, most of which I don't have. 
Look at that. To each one of us, these are in Christ. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were filled with the Holy Spirit and you are called to live in the fullness of his Holy Spirit every day of your lives. And at that moment of salvation, he gave you, the, the old King James says, he imparted to you, he passed on to you gifts, abilities that were to be used to help people become more like Jesus. And the only way that was going to work is if everyone was using their gifts together to help the church be who they could be. Right now, to be real blunt with you, my body can't keep water inside it. So my body's not functioning right. I'm getting dehydrated. That's the end of what's going on. So my body's off and I don't feel good and I can't stand up very well. The same is true in the church. If we're not all engaged, if we're not all enjoying the fact that we have different gifts, then we tire out our worship team while we sit there and say, oh man, I could play, but I'm too busy. Or we tire out our children's ministry workers because we hope someone else will babysit our kids. Or we hope the pastor will go tell our friend about Jesus because he's qualified to. Or we hope someone else will disciple them because I don't want to, or what if I do something wrong? And we've missed the gospel truth that the church is here to train you to go out into the world and use those gifts for his glory. That's what our discipleship classes are for. That's what our community groups are for, to help us grow, to use our gifts so that we become mature, so that we are a people that are growing toward maturity, just like I already talked about until we all reach unity. In other words, we're continuing to grow toward unity. If you've ever found a church that's perfect, get out, because you'll mess it up. You ever think about it in those terms? If you've ever found a church that's so perfect, yeah, don't go, because you'll probably screw that up. But if we seek unity together, we're seeing the world through the perspective of grace that we started today with, remember? And that then we welcome people that are learning to be more like Jesus, that are learning to use their gifts and their abilities to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The original phrase there was so that you're overflowing with Jesus. Do you feel that way? If I looked at each one of you face to face and looked at your faces this morning, what I think, man, they are overflowing with the fullness of Jesus today. And some days we just don't feel that way. Hey, guess what? I don't feel that way all the time either. That's why we're growing toward maturity. There's a special word for that in the Bible. It's called sanctification. Growing to be more like Jesus as we're set apart for his service and his work. Why does our church have elders and deacons? to ensure that we are doing everything in our power to equip you to do God's work. Sometimes we get it wrong. We think the church is here for us and the elders and the deacons, they do all the hard work. Well, if that's happening, then we've missed the point of church. Church is actually the elders, the deacons, they're here to serve and to train and to help you be freed to go out into the world and show light even in the darkest of places. And some of your workplaces, some of your homes might feel very dark. Well, that's what we're here for, to help you through that, to help you in those times, not just in prayer, but in presence. The ministry of presence is so important today. I think, 
I would say this, that in the world we live in, knowing that there is somebody that we can talk to is more important now than it's almost ever been. Because we live in such a lonely time. How do I know we live a lonely time? Because I spent a lot of time on boats and MTR last week, and this is what I saw. Rarely did I see people comfortable enough to actually engage with each other. I have no problem with these, by the way. I love them. I think they make my life so much easier and help me get organized, something that I do not have a spiritual gift in. Just ask anybody on my staff. But it also comes to remind us that we are called to engage with one another in maturity. And finally, you see this picture as you read the second half of of, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, that we're called to actually live differently. Listen to what Paul says. He begins to make this transition. So he says, thriving church, you're called to be together, you're called to care, and you're called to be mature. How are you going to do those things? What's that going to look like to the world? And he says, well, I will tell you. Literally, that's what he says. So I tell you this and insist on it. Don't live the way the world does. Be different. Look different. Not in your clothes. Maybe you are, but that's not the point. Be different in how you live. Not in the futility of the Gentile thinking that has no hope, but because we know our hope lies in Jesus Christ, we're going to live differently. We're going to love people that don't deserve it. We're going to forgive people that don't deserve it. We are going to walk with people that we don't even know, but we know they need somebody to help. And that's what we're there for. Paul goes on. He says, not only live differently, not only show the world who I am by your actions, but I want you to speak life into people's lives. You ever think about that? Your words can give life or take life away. A parent is incredibly aware of that often about five minutes too late. You know what I mean? You realize by the the face of your child that you've said something that went further than you wish it would have. And in that moment, you realize that I was not speaking life. Husbands and wives, same thing. Any relationship, this can be true. And you realize suddenly, and trust me, I have experience. I was not gentle. Back to the beginning of Ephesians 4. I wasn't patient and I certainly wasn't bearing with one another in love. Paul here says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up. Yeah, there's a lot of negative things in the world. So let's show the world how we're going to build things up. Let's show the world how we're going to put the foundation of Jesus Christ all around us and build a mighty fortress with our God that all those can come into and be strengthened. How would that look? When tomorrow your boss comes into you and either accuses you of something you didn't do, gives you more work than was in your job description, or your teacher gives you more homework than you think is fair, what's your first response going to be? That's not fair. Yeah, it's not. So, how are we going to respond? Well, I am committed this week and hopefully for the rest of my life to seek to build others up in how I speak. Will you join me in speaking life? If you want to listen to a great song about this, a guy named Toby McKeon, Toby Mack, 
sings a song, actually wrote a whole album about this topic, and it's called Speak Life. Because our world needs people that are building them up, not tearing them down. How many of you can list five things right now that you're bad at? Right? We're really good at that, aren't we? We're really good at knowing our faults and our flaws. And maybe others have told us our faults and our flaws, and we've named them ourselves. How many people do you think really know who God has made them to be and how gifted they are in Christ? And how desperately do they need to know that? Speak life. Finally, you're not going to like this one because it's painful. It means we're called to be like Jesus. It means that, yeah, sometimes things go sideways and we're going to be the bigger person. Listen to what Paul says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Wow. Just in case you wonder, bitterness, hanging on to things that were done to you and wanting someone to get what's coming to them. It's at the heart of that. Rage, anger that gets to the point where it consumes you. Anger itself, just lashing out when you know there's a better way. Brawling, that can be physically, sometimes you just want to punch somebody. That is not the right answer, by the way. Uh, It can also be internal. Um, Slander. Well, they were mean to me, so I'm going to tell people what I really think of them, whether it's true or not. That happens. I was accused recently of not doing something that I thought I'd been doing very faithfully, and my first reaction was I wanted to defend myself. And the more I prayed about it, I was like, no. How about I just keep doing what I know I'm called to do and let the Lord take care of the rest of it? That's harder, but it's better. And so what do we do to replace it? Well, we be kind and compassionate to one another. We forgive each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you and we are back to perspective. If we are living in the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we see things through a lens that says, I don't deserve the gift God gave me. Therefore, I can give that same gift away because I am living gratefully in that gift. Um, I grew up in a church in a place called Geneva, Ohio. And my dad was the pastor for 10 years. He left, and I believe the guy that followed him was there a while. And at that time, they had somebody in their church that had access to their money. And over the span of about seven years that person was able to steal hundreds of thousands of American dollars from a small country church, and nobody knew it. And it was interesting because they had every right to take that person to court. They had every right to sue that person to seek damages. And as I heard the story being told me, it was interesting what they chose to do. They confronted the person, they confronted the family, and they forgave them. They made no expectation on whether that money would be returned or not. They left that with the Lord. Literally, that's what I believe they said to that person. And over time, they pursued reconciliation and restoration for that person. And in the process, a relationship began to be healed and a church began to be strengthened once again. They could have dealt with it and just put that person in jail. And they had every right to do that. 
but righteousness in Christ Jesus said they could live a better way. They could live a way that actually gave grace away. And the man is paying for his sins. Literally, he is, by his own choice, now paying the money back in a great public testimony of the grace of God that brings broken things back together. And that money that's now coming in is being used for God's glory. Originally, it was given years ago for it. Well, it's coming back around. And we praise the Lord for that. But what about us? We've seen things that we don't deserve. We've seen things that go a different way. Will we be kind and compassionate first to one another? Remember, this happened inside the church. And Paul's writing, please be kind. Be compassionate. Forgive one another. Just as Christ forgave you. You want to thrive as a church? Be bigger than what the world says you need to be. Follow Jesus' example, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. So church, I don't know all your stories. I know we can pray for you, so I hope you've filled out your name. I know we can get to know each other, especially in community groups. And I know we can walk together in love, in humility, in gentleness, in patience, bearing with one another each day, in being kind and compassionate one to another and to our world, because that's what Christ Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. We don't deserve you. We don't deserve what you've given us but yet you gave it to us freely. And we thank you for that. And so God, I ask that our lives would tell your story. That the strength that we had would be firmly rested upon you. And that we would live joyously victorious because of who you've made us to be. That we would use our gifts to bring glory to you. In your holy and precious name I pray. Amen. As we did last week, we're going to finish uh, with the song on video, O Church Arise, because we are a church that is called to action. We are a church that is called to live at peace, to go into the world and give peace away. And so we are going to stand up and we are going to say, yes, we are going to live differently today.